Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's football and random things on a Monday morning. Uh, Iowa State with a 41 to 38 loss to Texas Tech on Saturday on a 62 yard field goal after Iowa State was able to tie the game late. Jeff, what do you, this was a frustrating one to say the least, I think. I don't know what about it. I don't know what was frustrating. The whole, it was, it was pretty pleasant to watch the whole game. It wasn't stressful. It was Iowa State felt in control the whole time. Felt like everything was on track. I don't know what was stressful about the game. Well, maybe that they went down 31 to 14 in the first half. That wasn't overly oh, that. relaxing. Yeah. No, so they, but <clears throat> I, I was thinking about this kind of, I don't know, doing like a little mental debrief about like what in the hell just happened. I just did a little debrief on this. Every single loss that Iowa State has had this year has been an absolute punch to the small intestine. You know, like think about it. So Iowa, there's four turnovers in the second half. Iowa has 16 yards of second of offense in the second half, and Iowa State manages to lose. Second game is Baylor. It turns out Baylor's actually pretty good, but you lose more or less on a failed two-point conversion. So that's another gut punch. And then you go to West Virginia, and the breeze was in, the breeze wasn't, and the breeze was in, the breeze wasn't in, all those kinds of things were, you know, and then the whole rest of the West Virginia game. And then you lose in a 62-yard field goal. So, like, there's the, – especially the last three – uh, of the Baylor, Texas Tech, and West Virginia games, there's some really weird, un, like unfamiliar, unconventional things that led to that loss. And then I was like, okay, well, let's. I, I, I'm I'm curious. Let's overlay last year on top of this. So the teams that Iowa State has lost to. Let's again, let's throw Iowa out the window just because it's. I don't know. That game was weird. Like there was a whole lot of just craziness that happened in that game. So let's say that was, let's look at the Baylor, West Virginia, and Texas Tech games. What happened in those games last year? Baylor, last year. Baylor has a 21-point lead, blows it, and throws in, and, and Charlie Brewer throws an interception that clinches the game for Iowa State. Baylor, uh, you know, that game was a heartbreaker for Baylor last year. Then last year with Texas Tech was probably as good as Iowa State has played you know, ever in any game. And they just absolutely beat the pants off of Texas tech. And then you have the West Virginia game last year, which Iowa state beat the pants out of West Virginia. Well, Neil Brown had actually said like, we had this game circled from last year to this year because of what happened in 2020 that we needed, like we just needed to get back at 2021. I have a feeling that all three of those games were circled on the calendar for the opposing team. So Baylor looking at Iowa state, having blown that lead now nah, we shouldn't have lost it. We're going to get them next year. And then Texas tech getting embarrassed at home. You can't get embarrassed again. We're going to get them next year. And West Virginia getting embarrassed at Iowa state in Ames. Uh, we're going to get them next year. And so Iowa state had been playing with a target that you're going to actively be looking to push You know, you want this one specifically, and then it still takes this weird gut punch of a thing in order to actually get the win, despite the fact that it's been like a calendar game, like Iowa state has towards Oklahoma, like that kind of feeling. So it's, it's an interesting place to be in, you know, like, like disappointed for sure that you lost the game, but at the same time, let's take a step back again, looking at what the losses were, their gut punches, what happened last year, knowing that you have a target on your back and just kind of like taking a little out of body experience and like taking the disappointment and frustration and looking down and saying, all right, Iowa state is six and four now. And we're really disappointed about it. 
because they've had a target on their back. You've got probably four NFL draft picks that are going to happen in the top four rounds, maybe. And all of this is happening in an emotional state that we go, man, we are disappointed that this exists. That's an okay place to be. Like from a perspective that disappointed that you're getting these losses, but you're getting everybody's best shot now. Like I would say if there's any part of arrived to be a, you know, a respected team, like Iowa state has officially been in that bucket as kind of influenced by how much emphasis there was from Texas tech on Saturday against Iowa state. Yeah. I don't like, I feel like there were probably some people out there that were very reactionary. I was reactionary, but I was reactionary, like out of just the pure frustration of the way that they lost was really disappointing. I don't know to lose on a 62 yard field goal, which is something that who knows when we'll see someone make a 62 yard field goal in college football. That could have been good from 70. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like that was just, that was, I think where the majority of my frustration came into play. It didn't have anything to do really you know, obviously there were other elements of the game that you would prefer that they went a different way, you know, mm. but it's like, it was one of those things where you're just like, man, you battle your way back into the game probably shouldn't have had that good of an opportunity to even be where you could have won, you know, if you'd been able to score a touchdown on the last drive, instead of kicking a field goal and then to lose on a 62 yard field goal, that was just I mean, you said it's a gut, it's a gut punch. It's a kick to the nuts. Like it was everything at one time, you know, Mm -hmm. and you're accepting the fact that they're not going to go to the big 12 title game again. And it's just like, damn, yeah, that sucks. Yeah. You know, and all that is true. It's, uh, it is also interesting. Like, so from the 62 yard field goal, like I would imagine most people have a pretty good idea, pretty good idea of this, but you know, like using other sports to kind of cross over to it. That's like getting beat on it. Like, a an 87 foot bank in buzzer beater. Like that's the kind of odds of making a 62 yard field goal. That's the kind of shot. So like if, if you're playing a team and you're tied and they make an 87 foot bank and banked in buzzer beater, you can be mad and you can say that, you know, you should have defended the shot better or you should have not been tied in the same or close enough that that actually matters. Those are all valid concerns, but the field goal itself, like they yeah, they didn't play awesome defense in the last part, but they played defense to stretch them to the point where they have to even attempt a 62 yarder mm-hmm. to even have a prayer, you know? If, so yeah, it, I don't think that necessarily the last, I don't know, the, the outcome says that it's not a good thing that they, that they did of, you know, kicking the field goal and then giving up, you know, quote, giving up all the yards to get to that point and whatever that's yeah. Th- those are fair. And there are even things inside of there where there was one, I forget what it was, Texas Tech's receiver or running back or something like that, like got hit by, I think it was Jake Hummel three or four yards in the sideline and then was able to like crawl out of bounds and managed to get the clock to stop that, you know, if that doesn't happen, they don't probably have time to get down there. And like all these little things can happen, but I mean, you lose on a 62 yard field goal. Again, it's like a full court buzzer beater. The you, you attempt that, 10 times. I mean, granted, he actually, he absolutely hammered that one. And the kid apparently has a huge leg, but if you attempt a 62 yard field goal to win the game 10 times, you're going to make maybe two of them. It just happened to be that you make the one that matters. Yeah. And that's why I say like the odds that you're ever going to see that in the next decade against Iowa state are very slim. Yeah. <laughs> the I mean, odds that you'll see that again in college football in the next decade are probably pretty slim. I don't I mean, know what the record for longest field goal in a college football game is, but that's gotta be pretty damn close. I would think. And I mean, look at like last year, like the Cameron Dicker 
again, the, the Texas game that Iowa state won last year, it was almost, it was very, very similar to what happened at the end of the Texas tech game where you play, you know, Ellinger drove them down to the point where they got into field goal range. Granted, it was a sack instead of like a little four yard completion. So they had to go tech. They got them to drive backwards, the clock running versus going forwards and the clock stopping. Like that's all true. But the, the fact that you have a, I think Dicker had like a 55 or 56 yard or something like that to win the game. This was farther than that. Dicker just missed it. And so this one he made, it is, is there any doubt in anybody's mind with how the second half of that game went? that if that game, if he misses that kick for any reason, you know, that it's a 62 yarder that you should miss statistically, you're not going to make that many times. If he misses that kick and it goes into overtime, is there any doubt that Iowa state doesn't win that game in one, maybe two overtimes? Yeah. And that's where, and that's where I think my disappointment really came was that I had convinced myself at that point, once they tied the game, it was like, okay, they're going to win in overtime. But like, this was way more stressful than it needed to be you know, and then all of a sudden for that to happen. And then I've had people ask me, you know, why didn't they, cause Iowa state didn't try and really block the kick. You know, they were pretty clearly playing field goal defense instead of like play. They're playing a a safe. Yeah. They're playing a safe defense and I get it. Who thinks that someone's going to make a 62 yard field goal. I bet if we looked in the NFL this year, professional kickers, the best of the best of the best, I bet there are maybe call it five 60 yard field goals made of any situation in any game situation at all this season. Well, Justin Tucker made that one, uh, 67 or something like that. Yeah. To win a game. And that was like an NCAA or that was an NFL record, NFL record, which was five yards farther. Right. Um, okay. I'm looking this up. This website looks like it hasn't been updated in like, 35 years uh i am seeing one one 62 or 60 plus yard field goal in college football this decade one and iowa state got beat on a 62 yarder yeah to win the game yeah so this is a it's a rare occurrence it is what it is i guess like the field goal like i said there was a lot to happen before that that you know when you give up 500 yards of total offense, it's hard to be too mad about thinking you should have won the game. You know, yeah. still gave up almost 530 yards of offense. Which is an interesting, so uh, it's an interesting thing to think about in two, in two ways. I have two general points of giving up 500 yards of offense. And they gave up 31 in the first half, and then they gave up 10 total points in the second half. And you know, that's sort of the trend of, you know, not 31, but it's sort of the trend of just the first half being worse and the second half being really good. Um, it's sort of the, uh, the Caleb Williams effect of first time seeing a quarterback. In fact, first time seeing what a new coaching staff was going to be. And so shout out to Sonny Cumbie for getting that team ready to play and having a good game plan and shout out to the quarterback. I forget the dude's name. Shout out to the quarterback. Smith for having a, you know, playing really well in there. But, you know, we talked about it with Caleb Williams is I don't know what you don't like when you're first coming out there. I don't know. Is it okay to play off coverage uh, against an outside receiver? Because do you have the arm to get it to uh, a 10 yard out? Or can I play tight coverage because you don't have the arm and accuracy to get it down the field? Can I play a little, can I be aggressive when I'm rushing the quarterback because you have uh 
no pocket presence and you're not able to get outside? Or do I need to be a little more cautious in my pass rush because you understand where the pocket works? Do I need to actually pay attention to the quarterback on a zone read because it's, is he, is he a threat? Is there a way that do you, are you okay with throwing the ball over the middle or do you get nervous when you see different types of zones or pressures? Do you like throwing it? All these things you have no idea. Now I'm not saying that you should substitute quarterbacks every single game because you don't have the volume of people that you can switch in and out and do that. And you also want a guy that's just going to be consistent with it. But the very first portion of any game, I bet if you look across the spectrum uh, of good coaches who have talented quarterbacks that play their first game, it's going to be their highest statistical output for like a year. And then they're going to get kind of, they'll go back and go, okay, here's how you can, here's how this works. And then they can kind of get back on. So, uh, you know, whether it's Brock or whether it's Caleb Williams, whether it's Spencer Rattler, like you're going to be successful early and then defenses figure you out. And then you got to figure out how to figure it out against them. So that kind of was stacked against them. But at the same time, they were in position to make a fair number of plays. They just didn't, you know, I don't, I don't mean how many, I don't know how many times he got out of the pocket, just be on a missed tackle or how often there was just a, a receiver that was open across the seam where they shouldn't have been a receiver open across the seam where they eventually tightened that down in the second half. So yeah, the first, the first general point on giving up 500 and something yards and 31 in the first half is that it was when, when a new quarterback plays really well, it is kind of hard to stop just because you don't know what's going on. And then the second thing, and I don't, I'm not going to start an off season conversation yet. Cause there's still two games and a bowl game left, but that has to be the slow starts are, I would imagine going to be the number one, two, and three things that they're going to look at this off season and figure out how to address. They need to be, I mean, <laughs> They definitely need to be. Uh, what allowed Texas Tech to run the ball so effectively? I I would guess it's just the Iowa State defense was on their heels. Like they just didn't know what to expect. Because if it's a this quarterback can throw it down the field, you know, like a Mason Rudolph. Like Mason Rudolph has a awesome deep ball. He is was in college. He is not good at throwing it underneath. Then so you got to play just if keep everything in front of you and just you know don't let the seventy yard pass happen. And so then I know that I'm going to be back and I can be aggressive underneath and I know where to be. Well, with this kid, you don't know if it's a down the field thing, up the field thing, and they're caught flat. And uh, I don't, I also don't know if there's something to be said about the kind of uh, attitude or cult. And this is not a bad thing, like an attitude or, or kind of character of this team that is motivated by external factors more than they kind of get credit for. So they're two and three on the road and the road losses have been to, uh, we have Texas tech and West Virginia road losses and both of them, they started out flat. And so like emotionally, were they not kind of like, like Campbell says, just a step, a half a step off. I think it's just, I don't know if it was a, they got a backup quarterback there. They're they fired their coach. We can kind of come out and, and exist a little bit and then just got caught on their heels and eventually then they kind of, you know, after giving up 31 points, they eventually managed to figure it back out. But I don't know if they came out a little bit flat or whatever, but it, it is, I don't know. It, it's weird for me to say, I don't know, but I don't know. 207 yards on the ground, 6.1 yards per carry for Texas tech who came into the game, you know, kind of in the middle, uh, right on the edge of the bottom of the league in rushing offense. 
Iowa State obviously has had one of the best rush defenses in, in the Big 12. How much of an impact do you think it made just, you know, Will McDonald was in and out of the game with uh, being banged up. I think they said an abdominal thing on the TV copy, and then any was in and out with being banged up. Mike Rose is obviously still not back to 100%. Do you think that those things just took a toll? Yeah, but at the same time, I don't – I mean, like guys like Sir Roderick Thompson, they're good running backs, and they they can – you know, they're all obviously Big 12 scholarship players. They are really good players. But I don't think it's anything necessarily that that the the caliber of Iowa State's defense and the caliber of the players that they have, whether it's Zach Peterson or Tucker Robertson or whatever – I don't think it's necessarily that I feel like it's an ex it was an execution thing more than a personnel thing. And yeah, you want any in there in full strength and you want will in there at full strength and you want Mike Rose in there at full strength, but they were in there at times and you have guys that are capable and the scheme still makes sense if you execute it the right way. So it feels like it was, it was more execution than it was necessarily personnel. So it was just a, I don't know. It was just a weird a weird thing. And that's why I said like this off season there, I think they were kind of okay with it last year into this year, being a little bit absorbing the slow kind of uh, first two or three drives of kind of getting a sense on what's happening. And then they're going to make the adjustment, but I would imagine they're going to probably have to do something about that. Because if you look at every game that Iowa state's lost over the last two or three years, it's by digging themselves a huge hole and not being able to pull out of it. And then in the games where they've started fast, like in the games they started fast, they run away with the game. So imagine being able to have the same second half adjustments, but not digging yourself a 14, 21 point, 17 point hole that you have to get out of. That's where you can start to make the jump from a really good team that should be competing for championships to being a team that you have to look out for because they're going to win the championship every year. And I think those little adjustments are going to happen. And if there's any staff that's going to get it figured out, it's going to be the Campbell staff, but it's, I don't know, the slow starts thing. It's come to the point now where if you, they've played with fire enough and they got away with it in 2020 because they were just better, you know, whatever they figured out in 2021 teams are kind of catching on to that and they've played with fire too many times and they've gotten burned now too many times. What do you think that that is? Like, what would cause that? I mean, we've talked about this so many times, but I don't know if you have a, new ideas. <laughs> I, I was, I was talking with a couple kind of former teammates and, and this sounds, it's going to sound worse than I mean it, but the culture of the group of leaders on the team, I think is a lot more relaxed. They're kind of more, the personalities are a lot more uh, kind of come what may All right, We're going to, I'm going to execute. I'm going to do my thing and we're all going to be, you know, kind of Zen chill, whatever. And they, they, they're going to be more resilient than you. They're going to be tougher than you, but they're not necessarily going to be more fiery than you. They're not going to try and do that. And so they're okay with kind of taking a couple blows, which is a really good thing from a maturity standpoint. Cause if you look at the personalities on in, on the team, you got the guys like Charlie and guys like Brock guys like Brees Hall, Mike Rose, you know, Will McDonald, Greg Eisworth. None of those guys are really like super. They're no, you don't have a Jeremiah George type personality in there that is up in your face. And I don't mean that to say that it's necessarily a bad thing because that has allowed them to be resilient enough to come back and to be better in the second half than everybody they're going to play everybody. 
but at the same time, I'm, I, I, it might from a culture, like a, a, a starting faster standpoint and from like an attitude of being, being more ready to go that if the leadership turns over, because all of these guys are going to leave, there's going to be a new personality of this team. And we don't, I, I don't know what like Hunter Decker's personality is. I don't know what Jirel Brock or Dion Silas or whoever's going to be the leaders on this. Team. I don't know who the leaders are going to be. And I don't know what their personalities are, but it's going to be a different culture. It's going to be a different feel with this new group of young guys. And so I wonder if that will do the thing that they're kind of more chomping at the bit to be going earlier but maintain the resilience and maturity that this current group has. So I don't know. I, that's one, I guess a new thought on it is that it's just the natural, the natural demeanor of this team is nothing rattles them. Nothing shakes them, which is good in almost every context. But if nothing rattles or shakes you when the other team is on fire, you got to match that fire. And you know, they're going to be at a nine out of 10, all the time. And when the tens, a team starts a 10 out of 10 and then falls to a seven out of 10, you're going to be better than them for the most part, but you're not going to match their intensity right away, which could lead to, you know, that little 3% off an execution that we talked about before. So I don't know. I think that might be part of it. What's going to be hard about that is replacing the productivity, talent, and, you know, mental leadership concepts, understanding what's going on. You're not saying like, man, Charlie needs to get out of here because he played one of the best games he's ever played. Mm -hmm. But from a personality standpoint, the starting faster might be a thing with just the personality traits of this team. So I don't know. It, it is, it, it is a thing that smarter people than me who have more information than me are going to have to do something of, to address. What'd you see that prevented Iowa state from being able to run the ball better? I mean, Brees had 18 carries for 51 yards, 2.8 yards per carry, 3.6 yards per carry as a team. Only 89 yards on 25 carries. I mean, that was – the offensive line has not been great all year run blocking, but this was, like, uncharacteristically bad. They uh, – Texas Tech watched film. That's yeah. what happened. They watched Oklahoma State film. And so what happened, the way that Oklahoma State ran their defense is they played – at least they sort of, I don't want to say like majored in it, but they ran this enough times that it's actually a thought in the mind of the, uh, like the, the offensive line is that they're going to play a guy. And I think it was the, Texas tech played number one and number 17 were the two guys that kind of occupied this space, but Oklahoma state ran it with uh, Brock Martin. He's number seven, number nine, something like that. Big dude. And they play a three down three defensive linemen down and they play linebackers, linebacker depth. And they had a guy that kind of occupied the space in between there. He was like two yards off the ball and he was kind of stacked over a guard. And what his main job was is to screw with the combination blocks of the offensive line. So it's going to like, if you could just picture there's a guard center tackle on one side and then behind the guard just, or in front of the guard, about two yards in front of him is just another defensive lineman's kind of just standing there in the middle of the space. And then there's a linebacker behind him. And so really what his job, that tweener guy, what his job is, is whoever comes off, whether it's a guard or the tackle or a tight end or a fullback or whatever, is you're just going to make a muddy pile in front of your linebacker. So your linebacker has capacity to run wherever he wants. At the same time, if the combination goes away from you and you have the capacity to shoot and penetrate and get a, get 
just get in the backfield somehow to eliminate Brees' ability to choose, then you're going to do that. And so that's what Oklahoma state did. They came up with that game plan and that, that Brock Martin kid, it was the kid guy. He's like 25 is going to be the one that did it. And then Texas tech watched that film and they had just two different guys that kind of occupied that same role. Sometimes they put him outside the defensive end. Sometimes they put him inside the defensive end. Sometimes they put him at linebacker depth and just had him blitz. And, but you're still doing the same thing as if the run is to you, you're absorbing whatever is there to keep your linebacker free. Then if the runs away from you penetrate and try and screw something up in the backfield. And so the scheme that they ran was a copycat scheme from what Oklahoma state did. Well, what they figured out in the second half is the same thing that Iowa state figured out against Oklahoma state, which is let Brock throw it 58 times. But if he's making good decisions and you can get the ball down the field, then because they're putting so much emphasis on reading run, then you've got play actions, you've got RPOs, you've got boots, you've got everything that's going to, you've got more one-on-one matchups that you're going to need. Like you're going to be able to throw it to Charlie or chance or Xavier or Jalen Noel, because there's going to be a one-on-one somewhere because they're putting so much attention on the run game. So the second half of the Texas tech game and most of the Oklahoma state game functioned the same way because Texas tech more or less stole Oklahoma state's defense. All right. Is there anything else? What, what else do you want to touch on? I don't know. It's hard to, because I'm not okay with losing especially not against like a team like Texas tech, but at the same time, taking a perspective of there are two more games in the season with the most accomplished group of cyclones and most arguably the most talented group of cyclones that has ever existed. And you got a game this Saturday, which regard, no matter what's happening, when you play Oklahoma, it's a big game. And then you got senior night after that or senior game day, whatever time kickoff for TCU is you've got senior day after that. And that's really the last two times that we have to see most of this team. And so I just, it was disappointing because those guys took a loss where they shouldn't, where, where no one going into that game expected them to have taken a loss. But at the same time, like where Iowa state is now because of this group, let alone the, the, the slow starts, let alone the weird 62 yard field goal or missed two point conversion or missed referees calls or whatever, minus all those things. The fact that Iowa state right now is in a position for us to be mad about a loss like that while still being six and four, while still being, you know, potentially for finishing fourth in the conference and being all disappointed about that as a direct result of this coaching staff and this group of players. So I think temper the disappointment a little bit by taking a little bit of a long, a more long-term perspective. And I think a lot of the frustration that people have is sort of wrapped up in the fact that this is the most talented team. They should have, they were started the season, you know, preseason number seven, which is, is one half of it. But the subtext on that is that we're never going to get this chance again. Like that's sort of the disappointment I think is rooted in the fact that people look at the, the, the missing the opportunity of this season and then extrapolate the fact of how long it had taken them to get here. They then invert that and say, it's going to take another this amount of time to get back. Well, that second part is a reach. That second part that it's going to take this long of a time to get back there. Iowa State is only going to continue as a culture to be stronger and stronger. Now, is next year going to be a little bit rough early? Potentially. Yeah, it could be because you're, you're replacing 
I mean, half a dozen to a dozen NFL guys and like 75% of the starting roster. But at the same time, as long as Campbell and staff and the culture that has been built are here, I don't think it's too far to say that this is not the only chance Iowa state's going to have at a big 12 championship or the, or towards the playoff or whatever that looks like. So yeah, being disappointed that this season didn't turn out the way you wanted it to, but not saying that this is never going to happen again. So I think that's, that's where kind of my, my, my mental state went most of Sunday is like trying to be like, yeah, I'm mad that it happened and mad that this season didn't pan out the way you wanted it to, but all right, on to the next let's get back, you know, get back to work and you can essentially pull yourself back to where you're going to be in the same position again. All right. We'll talk some more about uh, the other games that happened around the big 12. And then we'll look ahead to Saturday's game against Oklahoma. When we come back on football and random things on the cycle fanatic podcast network. Welcome back into football and random things here on the cyclone fanatic podcast network. Jeff, Jeff, Hey, you know what, Jeff, what did I tell you? you, What did I tell you? You get the, I was right token. You earned it. You get the, I was right token. That was, uh, I was, I was so much fun to watch. Just so much fun. 57 to 56, a thrilling shootout performance from the Kansas Jayhawks on Saturday in Austin, Texas. Shout out to Jared Casey, the walk-on tight end who came in to catch the two-point conversion that looked like it was a complete and total failure by Jalen Daniels until he floated one up in the air and the walk-on tight end is there to clean it up and win the game, man, after Kansas had blown a, what was it, 42-21 to 21 lead? Like, yeah, 42-21, I think, was the, the biggest lead. 42-21 to 21 lead at one point. That was completely erased relatively quickly, honestly. Uh, Texas was able to get back into the game largely without the help of Bijan Robinson, who left in the third quarter with an injury. Um, man, let's let's start with the 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 Texas side of this. <laughs> That's what I think. That's the Texas side of this. Man, Is you you got to know have, that yeah. you have made your bed lie in this shit pile of a bed, Texas. You did this. This is you 100%. It's your fifth loss in a row for the first time since what, 1965, 1956. First time losing five in a row, 1956. You thought that getting rid of Tom Herman, who had the program going in the right direction because you didn't like him as a person and then brought in Steve Sarkeesian because he was going to be better is going to get you over the mountaintop expecting that the mountaintop is still there for you to take. And then throughout the entire season, having the arrogance to say that, you know what, everything is still fine. And then the pole assassin thing and the monkey happened. And now you've blown every single second half lead. And it doesn't even look like, uh, on the sideline, never looks like Sark's really that mad. There's no change. There's no demeanor. There's no leadership there. It is an absolute dumpster fire. And it makes me so happy because you brought this on yourself. And on top of that, you thought you were good enough that you could send yourself into the SEC, right into the sunset of bringing in the Alabama head coach, you know, the Alabama offensive coordinator and Steve Sarkeesian, and you're going to ride in on a high note. No, sir. You're going to lose at home to Kansas. That's what's going to happen. You know what, man? It's just like I wrote after the the game against Iowa State. When you've been passed by Iowa State, 
when Iowa State has like a, you know, a third of the budget that Texas does, you know, I get it. I understand wanting to take my ball and go home. But when you lose to Texas for the second time in a decade, you want to know what, okay, this is an even better stat. Three schools have lost multiple games to, te- to Kansas in the last 10 years. Can you name them? Uh, let's go South Dakota. Yep. I'm, I'm assuming Texas is another one. Yep. As Iowa state. Nope. The third Missouri state, Missouri. So you are in, you're in company with South Dakota and Missouri state. Who are two average at best FCS programs in Texas, man. I just, every time something, the bad things keep happening in Texas. I think how hard is Tom Herman laughing right now? Right. How hard is he just, Oh man, that's gotta be just the greatest. Like schadenfreude is being like, you got rid of me for this. You deserve this. They do deserve this. Uh, yeah. I mean, just, a just remarkable dude. Like I, you know, I'd been telling you, I thought Kansas was going to win a game. I did actually make a pretty, you know, I made a sizable bet on the Jayhawks to cover the 31. I knew there was no way that Texas was beating anybody by 30 points in that game. And I, there was never in a million, million years. I think they would actually win though. That was unbelievable. <laughs> Let alone be up by 21 points, man. That was crazy. And it was and, so their, their offensive drive, their Texas defense might be the worst in the conference right now. And there was their drive chart in the first half was touchdown, touchdown, punt, touchdown, touchdown. That was their drive chart in the first half. And then on one of those, there was a pick six. So there's mm-hmm. another touchdown in there. Yeah, it was remarkable, dude. Man, shout out to Lance Leipold to even get his team in position to be able to potentially score 50 points and win that game. Like the once Texas came back, that felt exactly like what you would expect from Kansas. Yeah, I think a Texas to lose that game. Yeah, like to lose that game after being up by as much as they were. Like that was that felt like the Kansas that we know. But to be able to come together and win the game and like have a walk on come in and catch the final two point conversion and all this stuff, like man, like I said, shout out to Lance Lightbold. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Also, Kansas. Uh, was their quarterback a talented first game starter? He was. Well, he was. he's not a first game starter because he started all of last year. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, but this year mm-hmm. is the first time. Hard to get game film. Hard to know what's going to happen. So you have the advantage of kind of playing blind and Texas, uh, not good on defense and they don't care. Like that's the other thing is they don't, they don't give a shit. Texas defense is so disinterested in playing defense that a team like Kansas, when they are firing at all full energy, was it good? Was it good football? Not necessarily, not necessarily. It wasn't great football, but Texas or Kansas's energy and passion made up for the fact that it weren't executing hundred percent because the Devin Neal kid, Legit good running back legitimately would start at almost every non Oklahoma, non Kennedy Brooks, non Bijan Robinson and non Brees Hall and maybe Deuce Vaughn like you, but you're starting pretty much everywhere else that kid can play, but and he's not perfectly blocked or whatever. It's just, he's getting the open field and he wants to keep doing it. Texas does not have any interest in playing defense at all. It's remarkable, dude. It's truly remarkable. I, I can't believe that it actually happened. But uh, yeah, like I said, shout out to Lance Leipold and the Kansas Jayhawks. Big time win over Texas. Uh, I don't know where Texas goes from here. Uh, it, I, they've got games against West Virginia and Kansas State to close the season. Wouldn't shock they me lose. at all if they lost both of them. They, lo- they lose both. They'll go four and eight. 
They're going to be, they can't, I think Kansas, they might, they might pick off West Virginia. Maybe. I don't know where that game's being played, but uh, maybe, I mean, Neil Brown's going to get them coached well enough to, to occupy whatever it is. And then what the, what's the thing that Texas is having trouble with is playing defense and being tough enough to match up with another offense. Kansas state is as tough as they come like physically uncomfortably tough. They're going to hit you and hit you and hit you. And Texas has to stand up to that to win. And they're not going to, cause they don't want to, they're going to get out of the way of that hit. Yeah. Kansas state has not lost since they lost to Iowa state, I believe either. So yeah, they had the, they had the gauntlet early. Yeah. Yeah. So Kansas state's in pretty good shape right now. They've been playing some good ball. They don't play them until the day after black Friday. And then they play West Virginia this week, but I would be shocked if Kansas or if Texas at best, they'll split those and go five and seven. Yeah. I, I, there's no way they'll win both of them and go to a bowl game. No way. Zero no percent chance. Um, all right. Oklahoma loses to, to Baylor. Uh, the Sooners with their first loss since uh, losing to Iowa state in the, in Ames last, whatever that was October. Um, big win for Dave Aranda Baylor's still right there in the hunt to, to get into the conference title game. What, uh, what'd you see in that one, man? That was Caleb Williams. They finally caught up to him. I think I, Again, can I have my I was right token back? Oh, yeah, I'll give it back to you. Yeah. Okay, yeah. thanks. I mean, we can share it. We can share the I was right token. Yeah. Okay, what did Baylor do? What what's defensive scheme did they apply to Oklahoma's offense? Make him stand in the pocket. Make him stand in the pocket and be a quarterback. Just throw. You have to read a defense and throw a pass. That's what you have to do. You know what Caleb Williams doesn't like to do? That. You know what we didn't know for three games? Is that he didn't like to do that. Because you're just going to try whatever you're going to do against Texas, TCU, and what would be Texas Tech were the three games that just, you got no film. You have no idea what he likes to do. Oh, no idea Kansas. what he doesn't like to do. In Kansas. What? In, in Kansas. Kansas. Sorry, but Kansas accidentally figured that out, I think, because they just don't have enough of a pass rush to actually get hit, get to him. So they just rushed and kept him in the pocket and he had to throw. And that's what Tech Kansas did to stop Oklahoma's offense is make him be a quarterback. Okay. Well, now you got a good defense. We talked about it. Baylor, Iowa State, I mean, again, not the Texas Tech and West Virginia games notwithstanding for Iowa State, but the Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State defenses are the best defenses in the conference. And you got to play them back to back to back once you actually got film. That is not in any way remotely surprising that the kid is having a rough back half of the year because there's film on him now. He's a great, I, I would almost guarantee by the time he's a junior-ish, he's going to be back in the Heisman conversation and deservedly so. Cause Lincoln Riley's going to get it figured out where he's going to figure, you know, teach him how to read defenses, teach him how to throw on rhythm, teach him how to throw in the pocket, just like he did with Kyler, just like he did with Baker, just like he did with Jalen hurts, but not right now. And now you got to go against Iowa state who has Baylor film. And then Spencer Rattler, we know what Spencer Rattler does and doesn't like, cause we have all last season's film on him and he doesn't like to be out of the pocket. He likes to th either throw just on the run or he likes to stay in the pocket and throw. So you move him off the spot. And if you put Caleb Williams back in, you switch your game plan to keep his ass in the pocket. So yeah, what they did is they said, well, what does he not like to do? We're going to make him do a whole lot of that. And they couldn't match it. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to claim an I was right token for the well, Caleb Williams thing. And even then Spencer Rattler came in the game and he didn't look any more comfortable either. Like Cause Dave Aranda knows what he's doing. Yeah. Is you can get him, you get you get Rattler off his spot and you hit him and you make him actually have to, you make him do what Caleb Williams is really good at. And you make Caleb Williams do what Spencer Rattler is really good at is you just have the, their inverses of each other and what they're comfortable doing. So 
Yeah, it's not super surprising. And Waco's a tough place to play this year. And right around the time when Dave Aranda's got everything figured out, it's not a comfortable place to play. Also, the whole kerfuffle that went on with the kicking the extra point or kicking the field goal and calling a timeout to kick an extra point. Great job, Dave Aranda. That makes total sense because one of the tiebreakers is if you do get tied in a three-way tie, because they lost to Oklahoma state, if Oklahoma beats Oklahoma state and, you know, we end up in Iowa state, you know, they end up in a three-way tie with Oklahoma and Oklahoma state. The first one is record round Robin record. So they would all be one and one against each other in a situation where they have two losses. Then the next one on that is point differential inside those games. So point differential inside those games, if you kick a field goal, you get an extra three, which probably puts you over the margin that you lost to Oklahoma State by if you're Baylor, which would then put Oklahoma, depending on what that is, it would put the other team out. So yeah, it's a good decision. So Dave Aranda is, he's got, he has to win coach of the year. If he doesn't, it's an absolute joke. If he doesn't win big 12 coach of the year this year. I think the only person who could probably win it besides him is Mike Gundy. His True. team's playing good ball right now. 63 to 17 the other night over, over TCU. Yeah. T- Oklahoma state is probably the best team in the conference. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious again, Iowa state and Oklahoma this weekend and then Oklahoma, Oklahoma state after that, I'm curious to see how real Oklahoma is. I don't think that I don't think Oklahoma, I think Baylor and Oklahoma state have been the best two teams in the conference all season. Yeah, I think that's fair. I would be. I don't anticipate Oklahoma even making the championship game anymore. Yeah, because they've got a. The book is out. Mm-hmm. The book is All out right. on what to do against the offense. How do we feel about Saturday then? Uh this is a for both teams. This is a gut check game now, and I think this. Uh, they're very familiar with each other. They've played a lot over the last few years. I think this game is going to be a coin flip, like it has been in almost every single other game is because they know each other really well. They know what they do and don't like, I bet Oklahoma gets out to a lead because that's kind of how things work. And then after that, Iowa state puts the clamps down on defense. They start to figure out how to move the ball on offense. And we end up with a fourth quarter where one team has a three point lead and then all bets are off. So I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, it's as much as we've just talked trash about Oklahoma, they're still Oklahoma. They're still one of the best teams in the conference and they have, I think the best offensive coach in the conference. So they're going to get stuff figured out to do something with, because they now on the backside of this, they now know what other teams want to do against them. So you can then start to make that counter punch. So I don't know. I think this is a straight up coin flip. It's going to be, a, I think it's going to be a fun game to watch. And I think this is again, just you know, this will be the last thing. Cause uh, we both got stuff to go do is take time over the last two games in a bowl game to appreciate watching the players that Iowa state has now and kind of the legacy they've left or will be leaving on the program from where they started to where they are now. So I think that's just a thing is like, man, this game doesn't mean as much as it would have had Iowa state not lost to Texas tech. But at the same time, this is still a game against Oklahoma where Oklahoma has to take you seriously. And this they are in this position largely because of this group of guys that are there. So I think that's one thing that I'm just going to be watching for is an entertaining game and kind of appreciating the group that's here for one of the last three games that you get to watch them. All right, man. We'll, uh, We'll talk to you guys again later on here in the week. Thanks for listening to another episode of Football and Random Things. We'll talk to you again soon. Peace.